welcome to Untangle, the podcast from Muse, the brain-sensing headband that helps you meditate. I'm Patricia Carpus, your host, along with my co-host every other week, Muse co-founder, Ariel Garten. We're celebrating Valentine's Day all week. It's a special week of encores where our guests share wisdom and inspiration on self-love, romantic relationships, the neuroscience of sex, love, and affection, how men are changing in relationships, and we'll give it a go to demystify the challenges that all relationships present. And don't forget to check out the new Muse S, which has new features designed to help lull you to sleep after you've learned everything you need to know about relationships. You can check it out at ChooseMuse.com and use Untangle 15 for your discount. Today's guest is Emily Fletcher, Ziva Meditation founder and Muse app teacher. Emily shares how meditation helps us to be more present as a partner in our relationships and bonus how it can also help to give us a boost in our sex lives. Emily also shares how important it is not to expect someone else to complete you. It all begins with loving and accepting ourselves first. Now, here's Emily. Emily, I'm so excited to talk to you about your new book. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm really thrilled to birth this book baby into the world. Yeah, I remember we started talking about it or you told me about your dream of this book something like three years ago. Yes. And you were very instrumental actually in the subtitle of the book because you and I had a conversation a long time ago on a couch when we were doing the podcast together and you said, you know, meditation alone is not enough. Like you've got to figure out what do you bring to the table? What's special and significant about you? And I gave that a lot of thought and really when I think about my background of being on Broadway and then the type of people that I tend to attract, we really are working with high performers and people who want to use meditation as a tool. So anyway, the subtitle is Meditation for Extraordinary Performance. Very much thanks to you. So thank you. I'm so happy to hear that. I loved reading it. And I think I sent you a note that said, what's so great about this is that the book really seems to express all of who you are and what you teach. I feel like you didn't leave a thing out. Mm, thank you. Yeah. Nice to hear. And I'd love to hear like from your perspective, what is it that makes this book different? Because there are a lot of books about meditation, but I don't think it's a typical meditation book. So I'd love mm. to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So really we, and I say we, because it, it takes a try, but it's a whole team effort. But I wanted this book to be in the business section, like in the productivity section of the bookstore, because Uh really its mission is to rebrand meditation as the productivity and performance tool that it is so that people can no longer use the excuse of, I don't have time to meditate. The only reason people are saying that is that they perhaps don't have a technique where their return on investment is exponential. Like if you're going to invest 10 to 15 minutes of your day of your most valuable resource, which is your time, you want to make sure you're getting a return on that investment. And so I wanted to dive deep into the science behind why meditation can give you more time, why it makes you more productive, why it can help you get more efficient sleep, why it can reverse your body age and improve your immune system. And really so that people can start to understand just how expensive the opportunity cost of stress is on our brains and our bodies. So I'd say the first part of the book is all that. Each chapter, there's a chapter dedicated to all of what I call the selfish reasons that we come to meditation, like better sex and making more money and all those things I just mentioned. And then in part two, I teach a technique. And then to your point, most people are either teaching mindfulness or meditation or manifesting. 
But the Ziva technique really is all three. It's the three M's, meditation, mindfulness, and manifesting. And I teach all three in the second part of the book. And then at the end of the book, we kind of pull the lens back and look at the ripple effect of how does you selfishly improving your performance impact your relationships, your family, your coworkers, and then ultimately humanity itself. Well, wow, that's a lot. And you talk about all of these amazing life-changing benefits that we all want, of course, and that is sort of extraordinary life performance. Let's like drill down a little into the meditation technique and then we can talk about how you're defining mindfulness Mm -hmm. and then we'll get into manifesting and why this trifecta is the sort of winning formula. So where I think this gets confusing is that Most people are using the terms mindfulness and meditation as synonyms. And I think that can be confusing for people who are starting out because in a lot of mindfulness practices, you are using more of a directed focus style. There's, you're either focusing on your breath or counting your breaths or visualizing something or perhaps bringing your awareness to a certain part of the body, which is all beautiful and they're powerful techniques. But because you're directing your focus, it's keeping you a bit more in your left brain waking state. It's exercising a bit of that prefrontal cortex. And the way I like to define it is that mindfulness is the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment. And I find that it's very good at dealing with your stress in the now. Like my boss yelled at me and I feel overwhelmed. So I do some breathing or I do a visualization or I do my app that I downloaded and I feel better in the now. Now, this is a bit different from the type of meditation that I teach at Ziva, which is all about getting rid of your stress from the past. And in order to do that, we're inducing very deep healing rest, rest that's about five times deeper than sleep. And we know that because heart rate slows, body temperature cools, metabolic rate decreases. And when you give your body that deep healing rest, it actually de-excites the nervous system. And some of that old accumulated stresses that we all have in our nervous systems can start to come up and out. And really it's that exorcism, for lack of a better word, of the backlog of stresses that allows us to perform at the top of our game because the sad, harsh reality is that stress is making us stupid, sick, and slow as a species. And it's not just the stress from today. It's all the stuff we've been accumulating for years. So we do the work of the meditation and then at the end, sort of like the dessert course, if you will, is the manifesting, which I define manifesting as simply consciously creating a life you love. It's you getting intentional about what you want your life to look like, and then using that sacred, powerful time at the end of your meditation for visualizing your dreams as if they're happening now. So let's go back to the first part of it, which is meditation, and talk about your technique I don't know if we think about meditation as kind of a way to purge all of that accumulated stress or even the ruminations on the past. Like, how does that actually work with the Steven? Yeah, so it's not necessarily a rumination on the past. It's not cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's Mm -hmm. not like, well, in this meditation, I'll go in and I'll heal my parents' divorce. It's Mm -hmm. actually healing things on a pre-verbal level on a cellular level. And so what happens is that every single time we've ever launched into fight or flight, so if a dog barked in your face when you were 10 or you almost got hit by the school bus when you were 12, anytime your body's launched into fight or flight, it's left like an open window on your brain machine. And it's like, they're they're called premature cognitive commitments. And I liken them to open windows on your computer brain. (laughs) And by the time the average American is 20 years old, 
we have approximately 10 million of those, 10 million open windows on our brain computer. And if you think about it, this is why you go to pick up a book and read a half a chapter and you're like, what did I just read? Or you pick up your phone and you're like, wait, why did I pick up my phone? Or you're at a cocktail party having a conversation with someone. You're like, I don't even know what they said for the last five minutes because I was thinking about what cocktail I'm going to order. Anytime we kind of zone out or we're not fully present or if we find ourselves trapped rehearsing the future and reviewing the past, this is just a symptom of an overdeveloped left brain and too many premature cognitive commitments on our brain machine. And so what we do with the Ziva technique is that we go in and we give the body tools to rest. And it's a different type of rest than sleep. So you're not in a blackout sleep state. You're very aware mentally, but your body is actually getting very deep healing rest. And what happens is that when you start to de-excite the nervous system, and when you de-excite something, you create order. So you're actually creating order in your cells which allows all that stress that's been stored in there to start to come up and out. Because I don't believe that nature intended for us to be sick, tired, and stressed all the time. I think that that stress is trying to leave the building. But if we're running around in a low-grade fight or flight, excited nervous system all the time, it's sort of hard for that stress to come up and out. Similar to if you've ever done like a juice cleanse or if you've ever stopped smoking, it's like once you stop the input of the smoking, then you might start hacking up, you might start coughing, You're like, why is this happening after I quit smoking? And it's like, well, we have to stop the inflow for a moment to allow the outflow to happen. And that's what's happening is that we're stopping the inflow or de-exciting things. And that allows that purging or that catharsis to happen. When you talk about de-exciting the nervous system, mm-hmm. how is the Ziva technique different from breath meditation? Or like we have on meditation studio, a lot of different types of meditations. We have breath meditations, body scan. We've got a a lot of your meditations, which are focused on inspiration and visualization. How is the Ziva technique different from all of those types of meditation? Depending on what type of breath work you're doing, like in Kundalini, or if you're doing sort of fast breath work, and sometimes you're actually exciting the nervous system, where you're starting to create and wake up that energy that's stored at the base of the spine, And the whole purpose is to unblock any blockages in that beautiful energetic channel that goes up and down the spine. But oftentimes people will use that as an exciting tool. Now, there are other types of breath work where we use the breath in a way to de-excite. And the reason why the breath is so powerful is that your breath and your thoughts are two things that are simultaneously autonomic and you can get your hands on the wheels, meaning that you're going to breathe all day whether you're thinking about it or not. You're also going to think all day, whether you're conscious of it or not. The breath and the mind are very linked, and I think it's a very powerful tool. Now, what's different about Ziva is that we use a mantra instead of the breath. And that word mantra, there's some confusion around that as well, because in recent wellness times, we've been using the term mantra to mean more of what I would call an affirmation. So when people hear mantra, they think, oh, mantra Mondays, my mantra this week is I deserve abundance. And that's all great. Like I'm all about affirmations. Uh, I think they're very powerful tools. But the word mantra actually means mind vehicle. It's a Sanskrit word. Man means mind. Trut means vehicle. And so what we're doing at Ziva and in the book is that we're giving you mind vehicles, but instead of acting like propellers, they act like anchors. They go in and they create and induce some very deep healing rest in the body. And so because you have the mantra that is so powerful, you don't need to rely on the breath and it actually becomes much more passive. So the meditation portion of the Ziva technique is something called Nishkam Karma Yoga, 
which means a union attained by action hardly taken, lazy man's meditation. (laughs) Do you give people a mantra? So you, you say it's not a phrase. Is it a single word that you would repeat in your mind over and over again? And that calms the nervous system? Well, the tricky thing about the word repeating is that that in and of itself connotes a bit of effort or focus. And really, Ziva, it's all about letting go. It's all about surrendering. It's a little hard to describe this really if you haven't had the experience yet. But yes, in the book and in Ziva Online, which is our 15-day online training, and in Ziva Live, which is when people come to learn in person, they are given a mantra. And sort of the differentiation there is the varying degrees of power, as I would say, or varying degrees of intensity with the level of purge or detox that they would ignite in the body. So let's say I want to take a mantra and I choose a word. Let's say my word is peace. If I just sit with that word peace, will that have similar effects on my nervous system? Or is there a process that I would need to learn? I think it would have some similar effects. Just sitting on your couch with your Mm -hmm. eyes closed without your cell phone for 10 minutes is good for you. (laughs) You know, like we've become bulimic of the brain right now and we've got this constant inflow. And so I think that just having a moment to even digest is valuable Mm -hmm. right now. But the words are not arbitrary. The mantras that we give are not arbitrary and they are chosen for specific purposes and specific degrees. And largely, I've chosen those based on the level of support that people can have. Like when people learn face-to-face, it's like, I like to call it the Maserati of meditation because it's fast, it's powerful. I think it makes you sexier. And it really kind of opens up the floodgates. And there can be a pretty intense purging process that happens after that. But that's Mm -hmm. my job is to usher people through it. I see them face-to-face for four days and then they have access to group meditations and community. So I know So if, say, they were dealing with very extreme anxiety or depression or trauma, I am not a doctor, but I would be able to refer them to someone and they'd have a community of support, which is different than an online course and certainly a book. I just, I wanted to give people tools that would move the needle and it would be super healing, but that wouldn't put people into a potentially dangerous situation if they were dealing with extreme depression or PTSD or something. Yeah, that makes so much sense. It all seems so logical, especially when you talk about extraordinary performance, that your meditation style is intended to de-excite the nervous system. We start with the mindfulness. And because it is a bit more waking state, it's a bit more what I would call active, and you're directing your focus. And so we start with that because I think that gives high performers and busy people with busy minds a lovely Mm -hmm. way to transition from the intensity and the 60 miles an hour of like doing all day, then transition into mindfulness, it's like, oh, well, this is still something active. I'm still doing something. I'm directing my focus. So it's a nice transition point into that surrender, into that letting go that is the Ziva meditation. So you start with mindfulness and then you teach meditation. And Mm -hmm. then, well, let's talk a little bit about the manifesting part because, I mean, I love this idea of manifesting and I do it for setting intentions in my practice every morning. And I wonder sometimes how different is manifesting from prayer, which a lot of people do every day. Mm. I think that there are some beautiful similarities because in both cases, you're stopping, you're turning inward, you're asking questions. It's a beautiful time to be with yourself or your higher power or God, whatever you want to call it. And so I do think there's some similarities. 
However, the manifesting that I teach in the book, the real trick to it, and spoiler alert, is that it's all about imagining your dreams as if they're happening now. And that to me is the secret sauce in manifesting. Well, that and the combination with meditation, which we can talk about in a moment. But what a lot of us accidentally do when we're praying, or even when we're quote unquote manifesting or visualizing, is that we accidentally put our attention on the space between where we are and where we think we should be. And that is the definition of stress. The space between where you are and where you think you should be, that's what creates stress in our lives. And so instead of stressing ourselves out or praying and asking questions like, when am I going to have a boyfriend? When am I going to lose weight? Why did she get a raise and I didn't? We're always like asking for things sometimes when we're praying or even sometimes secretly complaining. (laughs) And so really the beautiful thing about manifesting right after the meditation is that you've just flooded your brain and body with dopamine and serotonin, which are bliss chemicals. And so you're in this space of abundance already. You're in this space of gratitude already. And then to manifest and visualize from there, it becomes a much more creative, playful process instead Mm -hmm. of one that happens out of neediness or fear or the mistaken belief that you'll be happy on the other side of the attainment of the desire, which is never true. Do you find it's hard for some people to learn that process of being sort of inside of that dream in a visualization? I think that it's uncomfortable for people in the beginning. And it's honestly quite an advanced technique. And I think that for people where it feels very uncomfortable, I recommend just meditate, just keep getting to the chair every day. One thing about Ziva is that we recommend twice a day. And if you do that after a while, like you're doing the hard work of carving out that stress out of your nervous system. And the beautiful byproduct of that is not only better performance, but something that I call deserving power starts to increase. Like you actually start to believe that you deserve your desires. And the tricky thing about life is that we don't get what we want in life. We get what we believe we deserve. And so if you're being disciplined and getting to the chair every day and eradicating that backlog of stresses, you actually start to believe that you deserve your desires. And then I find that the manifesting gets easier and easier for people because Mm -hmm. they're able to actually hear their own intuition. They're able to actually hear what it is that they want. But if your body is riddled with stress, it's very hard to hear inspiration and intuition over the I suck, I suck, I suck voice. That thing that's screaming at most of us of like, finish the deadline or you're going to die alone with cats. You know, it's hard to hear inspiration over that fear and critic voice. (laughs) Yeah. And I love how you talk about you creating the most amazing version of you. So you recommend 15 minutes twice a day. What happens in those 15 minutes? So we start with about one, one or so minute of mindfulness and then 15 minutes of meditation. And then the manifesting is at the end. And so the manifesting is kind of like the warm up. So it technically, if we're going to get really literal, it's 17 minutes, <laughs> but the meditation is 15. And then you don't just want to like pop open your eyes and launch into activity right after a meditation because it can be a little too shocking to the brain and to the optic nerve but the brain and optic nerve don't have pain receptors. They can't tell you that they're hurting in the moment. So it's nice to just ease out of the practice. And so that's where we use the manifesting. Because again, it's more active, it's more conscious, you're aware of what you're doing. And so it's a nice transition and a way to help you bring all of the restful benefits of the meditation with you into your waking state. And now we'll take a little break for our sponsor. Zola, the wedding company that will do anything for love and is the easiest way to plan a wedding and manage everything online and in one place. 
Start with their free website and then build your dream registry. It's fun and it's super easy. To start your free wedding website and get $50 off your registry, go to Zola.com slash untangle. That's Z-O-L-A. And now back to our show. And you talk about in the book that some of the benefits, and you've talked a little bit about that here, are sleep, work, relationships, intuition, creativity, health. Can you talk a little bit about how it's helping you with all of these things? The sad, harsh reality is that stress is making us slow. It's making us sick. There's new research coming out from Harvard Medical School suggesting that stress is responsible for 90% of all doctor's visits. And doctors are calling it the black plague of our century. And it's responsible for heart disease and weakened immunity, which can lead to cancer. It's leading to IBS and inflammatory diseases, degenerative diseases. And so, and because most people are dealing with this low-grade chronic stress. And just to be super clear, some stress is not bad for you. It's not bad for the body to get stressed, like hormesis. So a high-intensity interval workout training or cryotherapy or like a sauna or something like that's not bad for the body at all. It's the staying stress that's killing us. <laughs> it's the chronic low grade fight or flight that's just buzzing in the background. That's what's really slowing us down. And so what I've done in each of the first chapters of the book is look at the science behind how you incorporating a daily meditation practice can improve your sleep. And so I'll, I'll kind of hit the high notes on each of them. For most people, the most restful form of rest that they have is sleep. And so the body is then using the sleep as a time to heal. And one of the things that it heals itself from is stress. And so you lay down on your pillow, you start to get a little bit of rest, body wants to thank you and heal you. So it starts releasing stresses and then it launches into a bit of activity. And then the mind corresponds with activity, which is thought. So then your mind is off to the races and then it's six in the morning and you haven't slept a wink. That's basically what insomnia is. It's your body using your sleep as a time for stress release. Now, what happens when we insert the meditation into your day twice a day, you start to use that as a time for stress release so that your body can use your sleep as a time for sleep. I have a bunch of data from our students who have been tracking their sleep pre and post meditation. And before taking Ziva, their sleep sort of looks like hills and valleys. You know, mm -hmm. they deep and then light and deep and then light. And that happens over eight or nine hours and they wake up and they're exhausted. Then even a few days after the Ziva course, their sleep looks like a basin. It's like light, medium, deep for six hours, medium, light, wake up. And so oftentimes they will shave hours off of the sleep that they need at night, but their sleep is becoming more efficient and more restful. So they wake up feeling more refreshed. So if that's the only thing meditation did for you was give you an hour less of what you need to sleep each night, Yes. And for a 30 minute time investment, right? Because 15 minutes twice a day, oh, I'm so busy, I don't have time. Well, if you're willing to invest those 15 minutes twice a day, you actually now have 30 extra minutes in your day because your sleep is more efficient. And that's to say nothing of creativity and serendipity and synchronicity and all the intangibles. So that's the sleep piece. And I can speak to that from firsthand experience. So meditation cured my insomnia on the first day. And I say we have like a 90% success rate with insomnia. So it's a big benefit. Another thing is reversing the body age. So again, stress is aging us expeditiously. And if you want proof of that, take a look at any president the day they take office, and then that same <laughs> president four <laughs> years later. And then a couple of years ago, a woman won the Pulitzer. Oh, she either won like the Nobel or the Pulitzer. I'm sorry, I don't remember at the moment. But it was for her work on telomeres. You might know her. 
Alice, I want to say her name is, through the telomere effect. And basically the cliff notes of that is that when we are stressed, our telomeres shorten and weaken. And telomeres are like the little plastic casings on the end of our shoelaces. And if that plastic casing comes undone, then the shoelace starts to unravel. Well, telomeres are the little caps at the end of our DNA strands. And so if we're stressed and the telomere starts to weaken, then the DNA strand can start to unravel, which impacts our body age and ultimately our death date. And so there's some studies coming out of Wake Forest and Tufts suggesting that meditation can reverse your body age from anywhere between 8 and 15 years, which sounds dramatic, but that's not my study. (laughs) Sounds very dramatic. Mm -hmm. It absolutely does. And then we've got a whole chapter on sex. There's a whole chapter on how meditation can help you make more money. And the cliff notes there is that if you're stressed, your body is in survival mode. It's trying to stay alive. All your mitochondria and your gut bacteria they go into survival mode. And the last thing they're interested in is procreation if they're concerned for their own survival. So your sex drive goes by the wayside when you're stressed. Also, if female cortisol levels are too high, then women become incapable of orgasm. And similarly, if male adrenaline levels are too high, they become incapable of erection. And so this isn't just like, oh, if you meditate, you'll see each other's chakras. It's like, no, if you're too stressed... Not only do you not have a drive, but also your ability to fully enjoy the experience is diminished. I'd say the overarching through line in the book is this one of performance, that we meditate to get good at life, not to get good at meditation. And the biggest barrier I found for folks is that they say, well, I don't have time to meditate. And so then the question is, okay, well, what are you spending your time on? And the answer is usually making money. It's like, well, I have a job, I have to work, I have to put food on the table, I have to pay my bills. And it's like, okay, well, what if there was a tool that could actually help you make more of that? And you would also enjoy your life more. And I love when you say there's no such thing as a stressful situation. There's only stressful responses to a given situation. So your formula of mindfulness and meditation and manifesting kind of covers all of these deep, intrinsic needs we have to stay calm and to focus and to live the life that we really and truly want to live. And I wanted to just kind of take a little sort of side trip for a second, because we've talked a lot about stress, because that's the cause of so many of our problems. What about depression? Like, Do you have people that come to your courses that have, let's just say, situational or a light, if you can call it that, light depression? And how does this technique help with that? Yes, overwhelmingly, yes. It's shocking to me just how many people are dealing with depression and anxiety. And not to oversimplify, but in India, anxiety and depression are seen as different sides of the same coin. That it just, it's stress, but manifesting itself in different ways. And we're not talking about like very severe clinical depression, kind of its own thing, but the sort of mild depression that most people are treating, which we know that 44% of American adult women are on anti-anxiety or antidepressants. And so we certainly have lots of people at Ziva who are dealing with that. And even I want to just share that there's lots of people who meditate and still take antidepressants or anti-anxiety pills. There's no stigma there. There's nothing wrong with that. Lots of people need them. And I think they can be a really powerful tool to help you get to the therapist, to help you get to the gym, to help you start a meditation practice. Because oftentimes if you're dealing with depression, it's hard to really ignite or even start some of the other self-care practices that can move the needle and help. And so, yes, we deal with it a lot. And my only sort of filtering function is that I like to just talk to people 
and make sure that they're not dealing with like recent suicidal thoughts or severe debilitating depression because what I teach, it does kick up the dust and it can create a bit of release that I just want to make sure that people have the support that they need because I'm not a doctor, I'm not a therapist. And I want to make sure that people are very supported, that they have a group around them if they're going to engage in this level of purging. That's a a great thing to say. And I think it's one tool in a toolkit and it's Mm. essential, but it's not all that you need if you're dealing with a deeper kind of depression. So I was speaking at an event at Parsley Health, which is this new like functional medicine center. Robin Burson is a doctor and friend and she prescribes Ziva to our patients. And she was saying that exercise will actually outperform antidepressants in study after study. But I think to your point, it's not either or. It's not exercise or antidepressants. It's like, well, if you need the tool, use the tool, but let's also be exercising. Let's also make sure we're feeding our good bacteria in our gut. Let's make sure our microbiome is healthy. Let's make sure we're getting sunlight and physical touch and meditation. And if you're really doing all of these things and avoiding sugar, you're just, it might not cure it, but you're going to be in a lot better spot than if you're not doing those things. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. And so do you have, I know you're out there speaking a lot. Do you have people that come up to you afterwards saying, I've tried to meditate and I can't? All day, every day. Right. (laughs) (laughs) What do you say to them? Well, my first question is, have you gotten any training? Because I think that people think that meditation is this skill that they should magically already know how to do. I won't even say that. People don't even think of meditation as a skill. They think because it's simple, they should magically already know how to do it or that they just missed that day in school where everyone else got taught and they didn't. So we're all just like pretending that we know how to meditate. (laughs) And so I just encourage them to be gentle with themselves and know that it is in fact a skill. And that once you have some training and a technique that is designed for you and not perhaps a monk, which a lot of the tools out there are originally designed for monks, then it can be super easy. And it's not about clearing the mind per se. It's not about giving your brain a command to shut up. And if you have a tool that's designed for you, then you very quickly start to see the return on investment. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes this thing that you look forward to. And that, like right now, I'm probably in like the quote unquote busiest time of my life. I have a seven month old son. I'm running a company. I'm in the middle of this book launch. So I have doubled down on my meditation practice, meaning I am militant about it. I am draconian about protecting it because I know that I cannot perform at the level that I'm asked to perform right now without it. We have to just change the conversation from meditation being like a cute pedicure for your brain that you'll get around to when you have more time. And we instead need to start to see it as the single most important piece of mental hygiene that we need to be practicing every day. But I just like to give people a lot of permission to know that they're not a failure. Most people think they can't meditate because they can't clear their minds. And I just reassure them that the mind thinks involuntarily just like the heart beats involuntarily. So if you've ever felt like a meditation failure because you couldn't give your brain a command to shut up, you're not a failure. You really, truly can meditate. Yeah, I love the way you put that. It's perfect. So this is amazing. Your book, as I said, is amazing. And you are, as always, chock full of great information. Is there anything else that you want to share from the book that we maybe haven't covered so far? I know there's a lot in there, but I want to make sure we cover all of the highlights. Yeah, well, just that it's called Stress Less, Accomplish More. And the more I'm thinking about it, it's like, who doesn't want that? Who couldn't use less stress in their lives so that they can accomplish what they were put on this planet to accomplish? And the other thing I want to highlight is that in addition to teaching the three M's, 
the mindfulness, the meditation, and the manifesting. So once you read the book, you'll have those tools to take with you for life. At the end of each chapter, there's either a case study that shares someone's transformation, or there are oftentimes like eyes open exercises or specific eyes closed exercises. So there's one for sex, there's one for immunity, there's one for basically charting your progress along the way of like really getting honest about what your relationship is with stress right now. So you can accurately gauge your success as you begin a practice. So it's in addition to the like the big teachings, there's all these mini teachings as well that are sort of very powerful and quick to apply into your day-to-day life. Yeah, I love that. You just said something like, so we can do what we're put on this planet to do what we're supposed to be doing. Do you believe that this technique and let's just say meditation in general can help us really identify what we're here on this planet to be doing? I do. I very much do. Because when we're living in that stressed out fight or flight state, it's very hard to hear our intuition and our inspiration. And oftentimes we're making decisions based out of fear or lack or greed. And when you get out of that mindset, it's like when you turn down the volume on the critical mind and you turn up the volume on the inspiration, that's how I believe nature is communicating to us. It's through our desires, it's through our inspiration. And when you start to be able to hear that and detect that, and differentiate it from fear, then you feel guided, you feel much more in the flow. And I think that it's easier to allow nature to use you as a vessel to -hmm. deliver your gifts to the world, instead of being under the illusion that you can somehow acquire your fulfillment on the other side of some person, place or thing. Basically, this techniques, these tools, they transition you from being need looking for fulfillment, and they turn you into fulfillment looking for need. And that is a powerful shift. You start to look at your life from what can I give to this situation versus what can I get? Emily Fletcher, I always learn so much from you. You never fail to deliver. Uh, I just want to thank you so much for being on Untangled today. What a joy. You're amazing. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for joining our Encore episode today during Valentine's Day week. If you have suggestions for guests, please send them to untangle at choosemuse.com. And don't forget to check out Muse at choosemuse.com and use your Untangle 15 discount code. And for hundreds of great meditations, check out Meditation Studio app in the iTunes App Store. We'll see you next week.